Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, we're going to be at chapter 4 and the ninth verse. Uh, when I was reading this text, I, um, I just, I, I got to the feeling that this text is like a dad talk, all right? Now, I understand, and let me just, you know, uh, preface this. I understand that not everybody had a great dad, and uh, maybe your dad didn't give you, um, you know, great encouraging talks and all that kind of stuff. I understand that, but you know the concept, right? It's this talk that's like short and, and sort of uh, to the point, super practical. You know, they usually start off with, uh, your mom says, I need to tell you, you know, that kind of thing, all right? So it's like a talk, right? And he, he talks about a number of things in here, and we're going to share those this morning. At, I didn't realize this until the 8 o'clock. There's at this one point where it just sort of like gets all up in, on your toes, you know, and, uh, and um, getting into your business, that sort of stuff, even though the talk specifically says not to do that. I, I do that, and I could tell in the 8 o'clock, everybody's attitude just shifted. It was like, is this going to end, you know? And so I'm just warning you ahead of time. This week I asked my boys, my three sons, I said, uh, if I say the words dad talk to you, right? If I say dad talk to you, what comes to mind, right? I was hoping that they were going to relay some sort of bits of wisdom or some advice or something that I have given them throughout their lives. The older two just responded sarcastically, right? You know, they just said something sarcastic. The youngest one, Amos, uh, looks at me, not sarcastic at all. It's just, it's not his personality, but not sarcastic at all. He looks at me and goes, Dad, I honestly cannot remember a single thing you have ever told me. <laughs> That's what he said, didn't he? He said that. And then he says, except for the boy who cried wolf. That's the one thing that he can remember. Haddon was like, didn't you get a big spanking right after that story? And Amos like, that's how I remember it, you know. Because he was lying, you get it, you know. That's why he had to hear the story. And so anyways, that's a dad talk, right? You know, uh, I guess mine aren't really landing with them. I hope the talks on Sunday morning are landing better with you um, than they are with my sons, but you know, I mean, you know, like I said, maybe didn't have a, a great dad, maybe didn't give you any usable material, but they'll typically be things like changing a flat tire, checking the oil, or changing the oil in your, in your truck, in your car. I remember, I very vividly remember my dad saying, you know, the steps of changing the oil. He says, you got to wait. And I was like, why? And he goes, I don't know. Fine, wait. Go ahead and change the oil, you know. And that's why I learned that oil is super hot when it comes out of the bottom. Um, the birds and the bees, that's that's a dad talk a lot of times, should be. Uh, why you should vote for a certain political party. Dads love telling you that, you know, that's, that's one of their favorites. How to shake a hand and look people in the eye. That's a dad talk, you know. You to, I remember both my mom and my dad making me practice on them. It's so awkward. It's so weird, you know. Hi, sir, you know, that sort of thing. And so these are dad talks, stuff like that. Short, to the point, practical. That's what... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is, really from verse 1 down to 12. We're going to focus in on 9 through 12. In this section, Paul essentially, he just, he just is telling his, uh, his, his brothers and his sisters in Christ, he's letting them know, listen, uh, we need to talk a little bit about sexual purity. We need to talk about slowing down, taking some rest, living a quiet life. He calls it, mind your own business and work really hard. 
dad stuff, all right? Just dad stuff, just lays it out there. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. I understand, I get it, that I'm not your dad, all right? I am not your father. I am not that sort of authority in your life. And I also understand that some of you are old enough to be my father. I get that. But Paul was not their father either, all right? And so as you hear this story, I hope that we can set aside all of the, uh, the minutiae and maybe the internal noise and just really hear this as this loving, gracious guidance, this coaching in life. Some things that regardless of your age, you probably need to pick up and, and, and do just a little better. As Paul will say, you're doing it, just do a little bit better. All right, so that's what we're going to do today. Let's, let's pray and then we'll dive in. God, thank you for your words. God, I pray that as we, as we hear these in person, online, later through the podcasting, however it is that people are receiving this information, I pray they will not hear Josh. I pray they will not even necessarily hear Paul, but God, that we will hear you. We will understand and maybe begin to, for the first moment, see you as our good, good father that is excited to share with us bits of peace, uh, bits of knowledge and wisdom. God, may we adapt those. May we leave here today empowered to be better Christians, employees, students, citizens. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 9. It's what the Word of God says about brotherly love. He says, you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves were taught by God to love one another. Essentially, he says, if you're Christians, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, if you are following after Jesus, you know you're supposed to like be nice to each other. Just get along, right? You know that. It's logical. And that's what he says. God taught you um, how to do that, how to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in your entire region, which is called Macedonia. But we encourage you, Paul, Timothy, Silvanus, others, we encourage you, brothers and sisters, fam, to do this even more. You're doing great, but do this even more. And this is how he says, this is three practical ways to express brotherly love, to express kindness towards one another, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as I commanded you or as we commanded you. About brotherly love, there's no need to kind of guess what Paul is talking about here, but we do need to put it in a category. Verses 1 through 8, we're speaking specifically about uh, sexual sin or sexual immorality. What he was teaching them in that was, like a dad should teach uh, his children, that uh, sex is a good gift from God, but it is not to ever be used to, to um, use other people. Like you do not want to use your body or the body of another person um, to degrade them to the point where they are just utilitarian. They just serve your pleasures. So he says, that's not good. Don't do that. That's bad. In fact, he says, God himself is the avenger for those who are abused in that way. God will take up that cause. So what he says there, and that is what we typically call love, right? That's what our culture calls love, is some sort of sexual intimacy. From that, though, he says, about brotherly love. So moving away from do not do this, he moves over to instead do this, this brotherly love. Now this particular kind of love is really becoming at this point in the New Testament church the hallmark of the way that people know Christians. 
I read one Greek scholar who was not a Christian, was observing Christians, said that these Christians are unusual in that they care for one another. They love one another. Like what he was saying was everyone else out in the world, I mean, they're all out for number one, for themselves. These are actually out for the good of others. He said, in fact, they say that they are willing to die for each other. It was an unusual hallmark, this brotherly love amongst the Christians. And so Paul lays out three things that he says. So concerning the way that you're supposed to treat one another, try these three things, all right? So let's look at these three things. The first one that he says is to seek to lead a quiet life. Seek to lead a quiet life. Be quiet. Now, when we read this, that's what we hear. Be quiet or don't make as much noise. We all know, right? We all know somebody who is loud all the time, right? Anybody know that? You can shake your head if you know, uh, unless they're sitting right next to you. You may be, I don't know anybody that's super loud, you know, something like that. How, how many of you uh, are married to the person that you know that is super loud all the time, right? I'm raising my hand. I am. Uh, she's loud all the time, right? Her and our second son are volume 11 all the time. All, you know, that's just, just the way they are. How many of you are willing to say, I am the loud one? I am always the one making noise. Yes. All right. Good. Confession's good for the soul. You just let everybody know. Listen, Paul says to be quiet. No, that's not what he's saying. In fact, that's exactly not what he's saying. This word here is not less volume. All right. So, if you are a loud person, you laugh loud, you talk loud, all that kind of stuff, let me just tell you this. As much as the rest of us would like there to be, there is no verse in the entire Bible that says you need to be quiet. All right? Live loud all you want to. All right? Live loud. But what Paul is saying here is to lead a quiet, a steady life. The word here is actually undisturbed or settled. All right? You can live loud, just don't live frantic. You can live loud, just don't live stressed out. That stressed out, frantic lifestyle, the go, 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 always, 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 never sitting down, always got something else to do, is actually a check engine light on your own soul to say something's out of whack here, all right? Driving a truck and the engine revs and it will never drop, right? If it just always stays up high, that's bad for the engine. The engine will burn out. You will burn out. Dad, here it says, you need to slow down. You know, it's like the great philosophers of a day gone by. I'm in a hurry to get things done, oh I. Rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die. Even I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Y'all know that poem? It's going to be in your head forever. I'm in a hurry. Y'all are going to hear that forever, right? Alabama and Paul are in agreement here. Slow down. All right? The question would be then for us, in what way is the speed of my life related to brotherly care, concern, and love for other people? Well, first of all, let's just point this out. And maybe this will hit you in the gut, and I don't mean it to, but I'm just saying this. When you are constantly spinning, you create a vortex of mess that draws everybody around you into it. You got to slow down and take care of what you've got to take care of. We don't realize that. We think that sometimes constantly being busy is a good thing, but the reality is if you are constantly spinning, you are creating a vortex that is sucking other people away from things that they need to do or into messes that are not their concern. That's the first one. The second one that I would point out is, is um, 
It's less obvious, but it was one that really kind of uh, uh, made this whole thing alive for me. Imagine that, you know how we refer to like, I've got too much on my plate. You ever heard that phrase? I've got too much on my plate. Or I just don't have the bandwidth for such and such, right? That's a reality for a number of us. If I was to ask you, how many of you feel like you cannot put another thing on your plate? I'm sure hands would go up all over the room, all over online. People would say, yeah, that's me. I, I can't, I cannot take on another thing. Well, okay, think about this for a second. The tragedies, the unexpected conflicts, the messes, the heartache, those are never planned. Your loved one, your wife, your children, your kids, those, the thing that they're going to go through that they need you the most is not going to be scheduled. It's going to come at you when you least expect it. That's just the way the tragedy works. That's the way that chaos works. If you are living your life in such a way that you have nothing else to give to anyone, then when they need you most, you will have nothing left to give. We got to build our lives in such a way that if something should come up in my own life, I can pivot. I can move. I've got margin. But even more so, out of Christian love for other people, we have to rest. We have to take time. You have to figure out what God created you to do in this moment and in this reality. You need to schedule that out and build into that schedule margin and rest. You ought not always be going. You're like an engine that will not drop. You will burn out. You will burn out. Paul is telling us that in such a loving way, it is godly to say no to some things. It is righteous. It is good for you to look at your schedule and say, I need times of rest, of Sabbath, of taking a step back, of sitting down and doing nothing. Hear me on this because some of your spouses have told you this. I'm telling you, I agree with them. You need to sit down and do nothing for a little while. At least regularly, all right? A little bit every day, one whole day. It is godly to rest. Six days God created and then God rested. It is godly to rest. So calm down, all right? Calm down, take a step back. Relax and look at this, mind your own business. You can say like, mind your own business if you want to. Either way, the way I like to say is get your face out of other people's stuff, all right? That's the way that I say that. Everybody quotes, um, you're not supposed to judge, right? Thou shalt not judge. Even people that don't go to church and they don't even believe in Jesus, they know that verse. You're not supposed to judge. They say that, you know. Uh, I don't know why this one isn't more quoted. This one's a great one. This one should be on your shirt, your t-shirt, just a t-shirt that says, mind your own business. The Apostle Paul, right? You know, this is phenomenal stuff here. This is good. Mind your own business. Think about it. The next time somebody's bothering you in this area, you can say, hey, you remember what the Apostle said? Well, no, what was that? Mind your own business, right? Mind your own business. We all know what this means, but it's hard for us to understand it. It's hard for us to follow. This doesn't sound like spiritual advice, but it is. Proverbs 25, verse 17 says, Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, otherwise he'll get sick of you and hate you. That's the Bible, all right? That's the Bible. Some of you are looking at your spouse and say, I told you that we shouldn't have all those people over, right? And this is super countercultural. 
This is very countercultural. Our society, our world loves to talk about people we do not know in situations we're not involved in. We love that. It's our favorite pastime. And listen, I don't want to step on your toes. Uh, I, yeah, I want to step on your toes, but I don't want to do it in a mean way, right? Listen, I want to share something with you. And I mean this, scouts honor. Whatever it is, all right. I mean this when I say this. I have none of you in mind with what I'm about to share. All right, none. I don't. But I had a flight from Phoenix to Dallas last Sunday. And it was a layover there in Love Field. And when I landed at Love Field, I got off the plane to find out that the whole world was upset. The entire world was upside down. I mean, it was massive chaos because one dude slapped another dude. All right? Everybody was talking about it. It was all over the media. It was all over the TVs. I started scrolling through social media. It was all anybody was talking about that Will slapped Chris. And I was shocked. I was taken aback. I had no idea anybody watches the Oscars and let alone cared about it. Because here's the major thing. It ain't none of our business. It doesn't affect me at all. It doesn't affect you at all. Like, literally none does it affect you if Will smacked Chris. It doesn't affect us in any way, right? But we love, as a culture, to talk about things that we are not involved in and people we don't even know. Now listen, there are times where this is going to apply, right? There could be some more cultural issues that need to be talked about. And sure, that's, that's, that, there's an aspect to that to anything, right? Uh, Ukraine, Russia, we need to be aware of that and discuss it, that sort of thing. The decisions of the United States president, they're going to affect all of us. Those things, and you might say, well, I don't know them and I'm not there, but it does affect all of us. But generally speaking, we love to just sit around and talk about people that we do not know in situations that do not involve us. Listen, you got to repeat to yourself, I don't need to know this and I don't need to respond to it. Mind your own business. I don't know if this is true, but I saw several people share this. I tried to look it up if it's true, but it's funny if it's not. The creator of Garfield, Jim Davis, was asked about the Will Smith slap and he said, I don't really keep up with the Oscars. I mainly just make Garfield comic strips. Think about that for a second. That's a way to live your life. Hey, so what's your opinion on the celebrity breakup? You know, I don't really keep up with the celebrities. I mainly just do my job in my world. I have young men slapping each other in my own house that I need to take care of, <laughs> let alone a couple of dudes over in LA, right? So, like the first one, how does this relate to brotherly love? What's a practical way? Well, it's pretty obvious, right? If you are up in somebody else's business all the time, that's not loving to them. What you're telling them is, I can live your life, I can run your life better than you can run your life. I don't have all the details, I don't know what you're feeling, I don't know what's going on there, but I can do better at your life than you can do. You put yourself up into the position of God. You pretend that you can run that thing a little bit better. And that's the negative way. That's the way we think about it. Keep your, um, to mind your own business. Don't mind their business. That's the way that we understand this. Don't mind other people's business. But to put it just the way it is, mind your own business. Meaning, pay attention to your own stuff. 
all right? You've got plenty of stuff to worry about without being involved in everybody else's stuff. So you need to keep your business in your business. That means that if you and your spouse are in some sort of disagreement, Facebook doesn't need to know that, all right? You don't need to subtweet your uh, certain friend or something like that when you're upset about stuff. That's your business. That's not everybody else's business. Paul says, mind your own business. And if your business is in a swimsuit or has its shirt off, that doesn't need to be on Facebook either. You know what I'm saying? Keep your business your business and let them have their business. This is Paul talking. It's not me. So don't, don't hate on me. Look, I'm not the best at this. This is super the pot calling the kettle black, right? I get that. I understand that. I am an A-type, opinionated, millennial pastor, all right? I post too much, and I feel like nearly anything can be twisted into being my business. But it isn't. You can ask my wife. She's always telling me, it's none of your business. Don't worry about that. But as I have wrestled with this area and reminded myself regularly, I have to tell myself, this does not concern me. And so I'm not going to be concerned with it. Mind your own business. Listen, not minding your own business reveals a control issue. Not minding your own business and oversharing reveals insecurities. But another soul-rotting factor in this is that it leads to comparison. That when you are constantly concerned with what someone else is doing and where they are and what they're spending and what their life is like and who they're hanging out with, you very quickly get into the zone where you are comparing your life to their life and there is no good that comes from that. You don't need to worry about what other people are doing. You take care of your own stuff. It's not loving. So slow down, get your face out of what other people are up to and... Finally, he says, and work with your own hands. Listen, we all know that the natural progression in our own wicked hearts is to say that um, if you tell me to slow down and not worry about other stuff, then I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. And Paul is throwing that out the window. He is not telling you not to do anything. He's telling you work hard. You know, slow down. Pace yourself, rest, mind your own business, and work hard. Be very careful about what you're doing. Work with your own hands. What's going on in this text is that some of the Christians in the church there, they were, they were thinking that Jesus was about to come back any moment, so they quit their jobs. They're like, why do I got to get a job? Why do I gotta, I'm not going to work. I'm about to bail on this thing. It's like a severe case of senioritis, right? Uh, I'm about to bail on this whole thing. I'm not writing that paper. That's the way that they were acting. And he's like, no, you need to go work. You need to go do your work. And some of them were taking advantage of the generosity of other Christians. And so they weren't working. They were just freeloading on other Christians. And, and so Paul is speaking into that situation, telling them that you need to work hard with your hands. You need to provide for your family and for yourself. So here's a couple of observations that come from this idea of work with your own hands. And the first one is this, lazy is sin. It is wrong to be lazy. Don't be lazy. Work hard. You ought to go to bed tired. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, If anyone isn't willing to work, he shouldn't eat. 
Proverbs 18, verse 9. The one who is lazy in his work is a brother to a master of destruction. Lazy is a sin. Don't be lazy. Work hard. Pull your own weight. Try, all right? I am not talking about productivity. I am talking about effort. Try. Do your best. The other thing that we need to kind of grasp here is that manual labor is honorable. The Greeks thought that any sort of manual labor was dishonorable, so they gave it to the slaves. They had all these slaves to do all of the manual jobs in their lives, but that's not the way that Jews thought, and that's not the way that Christians think. Manual labor, sweating, working hard, using your your muscles, using your mind, using your body is an honorable thing. We live in a world, and we have kind of just defaulted in this way, where we push children towards the idea of higher education. And listen, I understand that I'm preaching in the city of colleges, and getting a higher education is a great thing. If that's where God leads you and you have the opportunities to do such, that's awesome. That's good too. But so is going into a trade and joining the military and wherever God leads you to do, all right? You don't have to have a degree to be loved by God, all right? It is honorable to work hard. Welders and farmers and, and, um, and linemen and whatever else, garbage men, whatever it is that doesn't need a degree to do it is an honorable work. We have to teach our children that it is good, that it is not primarily about your earning potential. It is about working hard and providing and glorifying God. Whether that's with your mind at a desk or managing people or, or sweating or backbreaking work, whichever side of it is, all of it to get up in the morning and to work hard to provide and to carry your load, that is honorable. And that is good. That it glorifies God. The other thing that we can understand out of this is don't be a freeloader. Don't be a freeloader. Don't be lazy. And don't be a freeloader. And if I was to put this into the church world, because we're in church, I'll just be real blunt with you. If you attend a church and you love your church and you're excited about your church, but you don't financially support your church and you don't serve anywhere in your church, you are freeloading on your church. Imagine this. We went to Tucker Creek last night. We walked the trail there and there's a basketball game going and some kids were getting games. Imagine you were at the, at the park and they're about to start a basketball game. They're like, hey, you want to play? You're like, yes, I love basketball, right? You know, let me get in there. And they pick you. You get picked on the team. Not first, not last. You get picked on the team, that sort of thing. Game starts and you go sit down. They're like, hey, we need, we're going to play over here. You know, we're going to play the game. And you're like, no, I'm good. I'm just going to sit here and watch. But I'm on the team though. I'm on the team. I got picked. I'm on the team. There's a difference between just being on the team and actually contributing to the team. Just sitting there is being a freeloader. And again, it's not about like the amount of money that you give. It's not about the amount of service that you give. It's just that you contribute. It's just that you're a part of this, that you help with the load, that we believe in a mission and a ministry and an effort that is worth me sweating for, that is worth me extending myself. It is worth me sacrificing for the good of others and the glory of God. Otherwise, I'm just a freeloader. And you might say, look, I don't have any time to serve. I've got this, I've got that, I've got this. And that may be very valid. valid. I'm not going to judge your intentions on that. I'm going to ask you to judge 
your intentions on that. But maybe you need to slow down. Maybe you need to say no to something so that you can serve in your church. Or you might say, I'm super tired, Pastor. I have served in this certain ministry for 10 years and I need to take a break. And to that, I would say, I agree. Take a break. Relax a little bit. You need to rest in church work just as much as you need to rest in your, um, in your, in your pay for the bills work and in your family and all this. You need to rest. But there's a huge difference in resting and quitting. Don't quit. Find something else to do. Move around. Shuffle just a little bit. Find something that fits better into your stage of life and those sort of things. Don't be a freeloader. Work hard with your hands. Do something. So that what? That's the same part last service that everybody just got real quiet. And they're like, man, hurry up. So that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. There's these two sides of this. Love one another by slowing down, minding your own business, and working hard so that outsiders will be attracted to the gospel. Right? If I wasn't a Christian and I was watching Christians and I see Christians being a bunch of stressed out, frantic people that are always meddling in each other's business and are lazy, I don't want any part of that. I can go find that anywhere. There's got to be something different about us, something that's motivated by Jesus. And what, look, I love this text so much because it is a Monday through Friday text. I get it. Sometimes I'm preaching a sermon. You're like, man, that's great. I agree with that. But what do I do with that like Monday? What do I do with that when I go to my office, when I go to the field, when I go to the job site? What do I do with that? Well, this is extremely practical. If you show up at your job or you show up at your school and you pace yourself and you mind your own business and you work hard, you are an ideal employee, an ideal student, an ideal citizen. This is super easy to apply. And then don't be an inside burden. You don't want to be too dependent on anyone inside the church. You don't want to be dependent. But listen to me on this. I want to draw this line here. If you're trying your hardest and it's not enough, if you tried and you failed, if you didn't mean to and you got into a mess, we are pleased. We are happy. We want to come alongside. You are not a burden because you're messy. You're not a burden because you dragged in a bunch of baggage, all right? You're not a burden because you have pains and hurts and scars from other places. That's not what we're talking about. We want to shoulder that. We want to work hard. We want to lift one another up because we need to be lifted up. That's not what it's being, a, what's called to be a burden on one another. That's not what he's saying. Try hard, try your best. And if that's not enough, then we'll all help out in that regard. Anytime we're talking about things like this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, we have to keep in mind the proper framework. We have to remember that this is understood through what we call Christianity, through what we call the gospel, all right? And the way that plays out is to remember this. This, these things, this brotherly love is I'm at fault. I'm the one that's in the way. I'm the one messing this up. You know, we think of brotherly love as like the idea of uh, they're just, I, I struggle with brotherly love because they're not lovable. 
Because they're not likable. Because that dude has a punchable face. That's the reason that I'm not loving him. Some of you are walking in here a minute ago and you were being nice to one another and you were, you were smiling and stuff, being kind, but you're thinking to yourself, man, I wish I went to the 11 o'clock. I don't like that kid. You know, that sort of thing. We think that the problem with brotherly love is that they're not likable. But the reality is that our call to love, our call, call to care has nothing to do with the likability of the other person which is a boon for a lot of us because we're not likable, you know? It's a, it's a good thing. Our call to love one another is based on what God has done for us, not on what they have done for us. So we love the unlovable. We even love our enemies in these ways. And God still loves you. So that's part of the framework that this is really a heart issue with me, not really them. The other thing is that God loves you. This is not do this, do this, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, so that God will love you. It's we do this because God loves us. A good father, right? A good dad, when he's sitting down and he's correcting, is going to say, listen, this is what you need to do to improve, but, and I and your mama and, you know, your family, your church, we deeply love you, even if you don't succeed at these standards. You failed we still love you. Your failure doesn't affect our love. Deeply love you. And because we love you, we want to tell you how to be better and how to improve in these ways. God says the same thing. In that while we were still sinners, broken, rebels, um, self-centered, meddling in other people's business, trying to control other people, uh, frantic and stressed out, lazy people, God still loved us. That's what the Bible says. That's the proper framework. This is a hard issue in me, not in them. This is a hard issue in me, not in him. He still loves me. And he offers forgiveness through Jesus. Jesus saves. We rebelled against God. We tried to live our lives hurried in a way that would bring ourselves value, build a platform so that God would be happy with us. We try to earn all these things. We try to manipulate other people and use them for our own good, whether it's sexually or politically or with power or prestige, whatever it is, we try to use other people. And then we try to get away with doing as little as possible. We have rebelled against God's design and against his plan. We are imposters, but Jesus loves us. And that if we will trust Jesus, he will forgive us of all that and cleanse us of unrighteousness. Remember how it all starts? It all starts with um, about brotherly love. This is a family thing. If you're not a believer in Jesus, this doesn't apply to you. None of this applies to you. It's when we become part of God's family that this applies to us, that we are accepted into the family. And look, you need to trust Jesus to be accepted, to be forgiven, to be brought in. I remember when I was uh, about seven, my brother Adam was like five, right? And uh, we were being tucked in. I can't, I think I was on the bottom bunk, right? And I remember my dad was standing there in the middle of our little bedroom there and the lights were out in our room, but the light was on in the hallway. And I think he did that for effect, all right? He's standing there, my dad, and he's tucking us in. And normally it was like, good night, boys, and then he would like wrestle with us, tickle us or something like that, kiss us, push us, and then leave, right? You know, something, something real gentle like that, you know? But for whatever reason, my dad is standing there in my memory, and man, I can, I can see this so clearly. He took a basketball, standing there in the dark, you know, took a basketball, 
and he held it up, right? He's holding this basketball, and then he takes a softball, and he is showing us how the earth revolves around the sun, right? He's showing us this. And then he tries to take the basketball, he takes a softball, takes a golf ball, and he's showing us how the moon revolves around the earth while the earth is revolving around the basketball, all right? And what I remember most specifically about my dad, who like, at that time, he and I, identical, except for he had a mustache, right? And he's standing there, he's doing this, was the sheer joy in his eyes. Like, I couldn't care less about planetary revolution, right? I can't care less about that. And as a seven-year-old, I really didn't care, right? But my dad was so joyful, so happy to tell us that this is how it is. Just to kind of communicate one of those dad knowledges that just doesn't really seem to affect us, but you know, just sharing with us from that heart of compassion, this is how it is. He was so pleased with that. And so as you leave here today, I know that these kind of texts will land with you in all sorts of different ways, but what I hope you hear your good, good father telling you is just, this is how it is. This is how I created you. This is how I made you. And it works better. It all revolves, it all holds into position this way. If you will just slow down, mind your own business and work hard. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.